Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. Well, with news coming from our federal government around new coverage for dental care, it's bringing attention to an often ignored aspect of our health. According to the State of Health in Canada report, most oral health conditions are preventable and treatable if detected early. What we may not know is that oral disease can affect every aspect of our life, including personal relationships and even self-confidence. It can lead to pain, anxiety, disfigurement, and acute and chronic infections. It can also disrupt your sleep and affect how and what you eat. All of these things impact your overall quality of life. Now you may find it surprising that seven out of 10 Canadians will develop gum disease at some point in their lives. So understanding the health and lifestyle risk factors and adopting a good oral health hygiene practice will help us not only maintain good oral health, but also avoid many of the associated health issues that can occur as a result of oral health disease. That's why this week we're joined by Catherine Peddle, a registered dental hygienist with the Newfoundland and Labrador Council of Health Professionals and founder of Mobile Smiles. We're also joined by Cindy Holden, who's also a registered dental hygienist, who convenes the Research Exchange Group on Oral Health at Moral University. They're both gonna discuss oral health and its impact on overall health. There's also important research that's not only addressing some of the specific challenges in our province, but also influencing our dental health policy. Let's check it out. Hi, Catherine, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks, Mike, I, I'm happy to be here. That's great. I'm glad we could get a hold of you. You do a lot of these types of media experience things and you're explaining oral health to people, which is extremely important. You know, what do you promote when it comes to oral health and what's the connection to our overall health and our oral health? Uh, the thing that I primarily want to, um, the message that I want to give to people is that oral health is more than just having a great smile or a white smile or something that's appealing to look at. Oral health really is about um, how healthy your mouth is and not just your teeth, but also the gums. Um, I think the World Health Organization explained that oral health includes everything from your, your neck and your esophagus and your tongue and your mouth and your the whole head really um, so trying to change people's perspectives on what oral health is is really what um, I'm trying to do and uh, what a healthy mouth is helping people identify what that looks like and um, changing our perceptions yeah, that's right. I mean, there's some, there's a lot of different risk factors. I remember we teach the head and neck and anatomy, and that is probably the section with the most clinical correlations where different things can go wrong. There's so many parts jammed into a small area in our head. You know, there's, there's common health risk factors that can affect our oral health, but that also is vice versa, right? Like bad oral health can lead to common health problems. Can you give me a few examples of that? Um, I guess the thing that links a lot of the health problems that we currently are aware of and the mouth is inflammation. Mm -hmm. So recently uh, the research talks about how inflammation in the mouth can affect other parts of the body because of um, the bacteria that's there. It can increase the inflammation that is present and then it can affect other things like the tissue is compromised in the mouth and then it allows bacteria to enter the bloodstream that can then travel to other areas of the body, such as the heart, uh, the lungs. Also in recent research, it talks about how it's found in different areas of the brains for people with Alzheimer's and dementia. Um, so that it also can affect your glycemic control. If you're a diabetic, um, any inflammation in the body, of course, can wreak havoc on people with diabetes. So having 
having inflammation in your mouth can also cause uh, you to have issues with diabetes and your glycemic control and vice versa. If your diabetes is uncontrolled, it causes issues in your mouth. So there's a, there's several different things that are, can highly impact the other areas in your body. Okay. So let's, for everybody listening, you know, you said it's more than just teeth. What are all the sort of areas that you can think of like the organs and the tissues that we're talking about? We talk about oral health. So when we do screenings for clients to determine what their needs are, the biggest thing that we look at is your tissues um, and how healthy they are. So the gums, for instance, that hold the tooth in place. When the gums are inflamed, uh, they are red and sore or they bleed when you brush or eat or, you know, different things like that. Um, That um, tissue it it needs to be healthy in order for you to consider it to be a healthy mouth. When that tissue is not healthy, it affects other things like the bone that holds the tooth in place. Um, We also look for, you know, lesions in the mouth, uh, red and white spots that are on your tongue or under your tongue or in the back of your throat or lumps or bumps or different different types of things can uh, indicate that there may be oral cancer or there could be other um, systematic diseases that are happening that can be signals that um, are shown in the mouth that can identify that people are having issues somewhere else. Huh. It's almost like a canary in the mind. It gives you an indication that something else is going on somewhere. Um, when we when we talk about some of these factors, I mean, I think that, you know, I always, everybody gets trouble when they get, they go see a, a, the dentist or, or get a, get a cleanup that we don't floss enough, but you know, what are some risk factors people have for having poor oral health, but let's start before we get into the best practice and how we take care of our teeth, but like, what are some lifestyle risk factors that people face? Lifestyle. Well, um, I guess if you're a healthy person, it may not be quite so bad that you don't floss every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you have some other health concern, for instance, diabetes, then not removing the bacteria that lives below the gum line, that bacteria releases toxins into the tissue, which causes the tissue to become inflamed, which is your body's response to send up um, uh fighters to kind of get rid of it on its own. And that combination of your body and the bacteria fighting each other destroys the bone that holds the tooth in place. So when it comes to compromises, your body is in a constant um, state of fighting because your inflammatory process is turned on. Mm -hmm. And we now know that the inflammatory process being turned on causes problems in other areas of the body too. So when you think about health compromises, something as simple as cleaning your gums can really prevent other problems from occurring too. So, you know, when your uh, dental professional is talking to you about flossing, they're not just talking to you so that your gums look nice. It's also to prevent other health problems somewhere else. Right. And I I think about lifestyle, I think, you know, diet uh, as well. So like you think about high sugar foods, like how does sugar really impact our teeth and why is it bad for us outside of just like the physical health, you know, detrimental effects of it? Yeah. uh, So sugar feeds bacteria. Um, And I like to tell this story to people, especially kids, because they they love hearing this. But bacteria, um, 
uses the sugar that we eat as a fuel source and its byproduct is the plaque and the gooey stuff that sticks on our teeth. And that bacteria, that byproduct is toxic to the gum tissue. So like the more sugar you eat, then the more plaque that you have, which is because it causes problems. So plaque can do cause problems like inflammation in the gum tissue, but also it can cause cavities. And we always think about that for children. But in my profession, uh, the practice that I have in with my mobile service, I see a lot of um, residents in long-term care or people with mobility or cognitive issues, and they can't look after themselves quite as well as what we can. And it, they have uh, their bacterial load is so much more. And then we feed it with sugar and then it creates more bacteria. And then that causes bigger problems too. So yeah, should the diet makes a big difference because the more carbs that we eat, the more it fuels the bacteria that is present in the mouth, which then can make our problems worse. So you have to be, if you're eating lots of sugar, you have to be really good with your hygiene. Well, yeah, that's good to know. I mean, that's, I've always heard that, like, you know, you're going to eat something, brush your teeth directly after it. And that makes much more sense now. Actually, the best way would be to brush your teeth before you eat sugar. Really? Because you reduce the amount of bacteria that's in the mouth before the sugar goes in there. <laughs> See, this is why we do these shows. So we all get to learn something new each time. Yeah. And you were talking about cavities, which everybody's afraid of getting cavities. No one likes to hear that they've got a cavity. They got to get it drilled. But like, what happens when we get a cavity? What is tooth decay? Uh, it's a softening of the tooth structure. Mm. So there's different layers to the tooth. There's the enamel layer, there's the dentin layer, and then there's the nerve that's underneath. And so um, what happens in the process of cavities is the uh, bacteria, the acidic reaction that happens in the mouth when you have when you introduce sugar uh, causes a demineralization of the tooth structure. And then um, for 20 minutes after you eat, you're having an acid attack. And then after that 20 minutes, the mouth goes back to neutral and the tooth structure, the tooth tries to repair itself with minerals that are in the saliva. That's where fluoride comes in handy because it helps to incorporate into the tooth structure and recalcify it. If there's not enough time between one demineralization process and the next demineralization process, so let's say you're a grazer and you snack all day, you're having an acid attack all day, then that um, demineralization compounds until the point where you cross from the enamel layer into the dentin layer. So when the demineralization has reached a certain layer in the tooth, then it's considered to be a cavity. And so as a hygienist, we try to prevent that from happening. So giving you good oral hygiene techniques so that you stop that process or using fluoride so that we treat demineralized areas so they don't progress to the point where they become cavities. Because once they become a cavity, you have to get it restored by mm -hmm. you know, fillings or it depends on how deep that demineralization is. Well, yeah. So let's, let's get right into that. What are some of the tips that people need to know about oral health? Like what are, what are the, the key messages you tell everybody you work with? So the thing I 
talk to people and educate people about the most is the bacteria that's in your mouth. The bacteria is your enemy, the bad bacteria. Obviously, we all have good and bad bacteria, but we want to minimize the amount of bad bacteria that's in our mouth. And how you do that is by um, the things that you eat. We talked about that and having maintenance. And the maintenance that you do at home reduces the amount of bacteria that's in your mouth from, you know, your professional appointments. So if mm-hmm. you go to see the hygienist every um, three, six, nine, 12 months, um, depending upon what your needs are, of course, uh, the amount of maintenance you do at home keeps that bacteria at a minimum between your hygiene appointments so that uh, it reduces the risk that those bacteria can cause to your gums and to your your mouth and to your uh, to, to your teeth which ultimately it, you know prevents other problems in your body we're here with Catherine Petal who's a registered dental hygienist and owner of mobile smiles she's sharing what we need to know about oral health and how we can keep our mouths healthy we'll be right back after the break Welcome back. We're here with Catherine Petal, who's a registered dental hygienist and owner of Mobile Smiles. She's sharing what we need to know about oral health and how we can keep our mouths healthy. Let's check it out. Right. So regular checkups and regular cleanings every three, six or nine months, like you said, but the more, the better, I'm guessing. Uh, Daily flossing, daily brushing, brushing before meals, after meals. Give me a couple of quick tips on that. Um, I recommend interdental brush cleaning. So that's either through flossing, which, you know, you can get educated about that goes down and separates the bacteria so that they're not growing the closer that the bacteria are together, then they create more bacteria. So we want to keep those bacteria away from each other. And that's what interdental uh, cleanings do. You can use little brushes that go in between the teeth that also removes bacteria. Um, You can use toothpicks that go underneath the gum tissue and kind of clean. It's kind of like, if you think about cleaning your fingernails, everybody does that, right? Like, so cleaning under your gums is kind of similar. You have to get down there and scoop that bacteria out. And brushing is removing the plaque that's on the surface of the tooth. And that helps with gums too. But if you think about the gum is usually about two to three millimeters deep. And so the brush don't get down that far. So you really have to use something to get down there. We recommend powered toothbrushes because they spin at a higher speed than you can use your manual toothbrush. So, um, and they reach in harder to reach places easier than you can with your manual brush. Um, We teach people uh, about using mouthwash. Of course, everybody is unique because your body is unique and how your body is made up is going to be different recommendations than someone else. So that's the importance of seeing a professional is for them to identify what your risk factors are and then give a treatment program for you that is specific to your oral health needs. That's right. Okay. So before we get out of that, you're talking about flossing and the, and the bacteria under the gums. Can you explain what long in the tooth means? Because I heard this a, a, a long time ago, it always stuck with me, which is what keeps me taking care of my teeth as I get older. 
Long in the tooth means that you have recession, basically. And uh, when you uh, don't look after the gum tissue well and the bacteria irritates that tissue and the bone loss um, is it happens. So as the bone moves down the tooth, so does the gum tissue. And that's where recession is. And of course, then your tooth is longer. The yeah. problem with that is the longer the tooth gets, it means the less bone that's holding it in place. And then the tooth becomes mobile and falls out. So you don't want that to happen. There you go. That scared me. Hopefully everybody listening now is going to get that floss out on the countertop. We actually did a show on procrastination and the guy was saying the one thing he's, he's a world renowned author on it, Tim Pitchell. And he was saying that he had to teach himself how to floss. It was the hardest thing he ever did, but he put it on this counter and kept it on his counter all the time. So every time he picked up a toothbrush, he'd see it and he got it. So that's yeah. good. That's I always good. tell my clients, actually, it, do you watch like the news, put the floss next to the TV. Every time you watch the news, pull it out and start doing it. Like yeah. really it, you have to attach the habit with something else like yeah. any other habit we do. So yeah, good. Cool. Cool. Well, we alluded to it earlier, but I want to chat more about uh, what you do in your business. There's been recent announcements that dental care is going to be changing across the country. And that's good news for a lot of people. I know Newfoundland's a little bit further ahead than most places when it comes to this. But tell me about your business, Mobile Smiles, and, and what you do and where you work. Yeah, so Mobile Smiles is a mobile dental hygiene service, and we um, have mobile equipment that brings the dental clinic to you. So primarily, we work in long-term care, uh, seniors' homes, but we also visit people's houses. So if you have mobility issues, or if you're a busy family, or whatever the reason might be, we try to remove the barrier that prevents you from accessing care. So whatever that is, if it's time constraints, if it's mobility, if it's because you don't have a way to get there, we will come to you. So our uh, focus is educating the client, but also caregivers, because sometimes there people rely on other people to provide daily care for them. Yep. And we teach people what their risk factors are. We do an assessment to determine what their risk factors are, not just in their mouth, but in their whole life, um, how we can give them a plan that will help them be successful in removing um, daily bacteria and preventing problems. A lot of the problems that people have with oral health are preventable. And we really believe that if people had the right information and the skills, then they would be able to prevent bigger problems that cause uh, financial strain and also health concerns. Mm -hmm. So we do our best to help people and give them the tools that they need every day to prevent that from happening. And then we do a maintenance program usually every three to six months so that people stay out of trouble. That's good. I think, yeah, I think sometimes people think a visit to the dentist or getting a cleaning is going to make up for the bad habits in between, but really it's the coaching that you guys give people that keep people, you know, coming back for that. That's, that's critically important. Now, when it comes to what you do versus what you'd get at say a dental office, like how's that compare when it comes to like price or insurance and all that stuff? Is it a different type of option for people that have to pay out of pocket or? Dental hygienists are primary healthcare providers. So insurance companies recognize us as that and they we can bill directly to the insurance company and the the patient is just responsible for the amount that the insurance company doesn't pay our prices are comparable to your dental clinic so we try to keep our prices in the same range as that so that it it, it maintains the 
ability to access the care. Yeah. So I'm not sure how the government program, I'm, I'm interested to see what's going to happen with that. But in my um, experience and the clientele that I see is primarily uh, seniors. And uh, I mean, there's such a huge need for uh, coverage for that client, right? Um, in the past, we saw those, those, that demographic as wearing dentures, but that's not the case anymore. And a re recent study in Canada showed that people between 60 and 79, 80% of those people have some teeth. So if you think about that, that's a really high number. And those people are, are needing care because they can't necessarily take care of them themselves. It should be about restorative, but also to prevent that. And I hope that this new coverage that the government is including will have preventative care as well. Yeah, that's great. I mean, yeah, and I see that this being such a novel and such an easy way for people to access you. It's so funny. I mean, maybe another function of why seniors have more teeth is because I remember my grandfather was in World War II. Now, he'd be quite old now. He was still around, but uh, he had a cavity that just pulled it out. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, dental practices have changed, so people are having teeth longer, which is more important to take care of it. Um, so, when you pull up somewhere, like, you don't move like a big dental chair into the house, do you? Or how do you, how do you, what equipment do you bring I, in? You yeah. So if I'm in long-term care, usually yeah. the residents are in their bed. Yeah. And I just, I have a compressor. It's about 80 pounds on wheels. And I roll it up to the side of their bed, takes out the, the hose, like the suction and the water and the, and the motor. And we could do the same as if you're sitting in your dental chair. But if I go to your house, I have a portable dental chair and it is, has a hydraulic to it. So you stick it up to my compressor and the thing goes up and down with hydraulics. It's, it's really cool. You should check it out, Mike. <laughs> I think so. I'm a busy person too. I could use that. That's, that's really, really cool stuff. I mean, I had an idea of some of these things you were doing, but that is, that's pretty high tech now. I mean, so if you're coming to uh, our house or my house, cause that sounds like I need it too. Um, how do we, how does somebody prepare for a visit? I just need a space to set up. Usually it's in your living room or if you have a study or sometimes uh, we just use people have recliners in their house. So they yeah. use the recliner and I just have a little stool that I sit on. And, and so it's it's not it doesn't require a lot of space. Cool. And That's all cool. I need is a plug in. Actually, one plug in does the whole thing. That's wicked. That's, that's really cool. Uh, okay. So if somebody is looking at, uh, you know, availing of this service, because it sounds really convenient for people, how do they get a hold of you? Um, you can give us a call. We, our number is 691-7261. And uh, our new administrative director, Carrie, will answer your phone and answer your questions because we like to give people a chance to ask questions about that. You can go on our website and book directly through the website, which is mobilesmiles at nl.com, or you can send us an email at hello at mobilesmilesnl.com. That's excellent. Yeah, that's excellent. Very so, easy. Very easy to reach. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. And that's the way it should be. It sounds like you're easy to, to work with and to reach. So are there any last thoughts you'd like to leave our listeners with before we, we uh, finish up our chat here today? Yeah, I think the biggest message that I want people to understand is that oral health is easy to attain. You just need to know the right 
things to do and they're not hard. It's just small little changes that people have to, to make to their routine. And I think in the past, healthcare has always been something that we feel someone else has to do for us, but healthcare is our responsibility and educating yourself about what you need to do and the small changes that you can do can make big impacts on, on your health overall. And oral health is the same. Oral health has has been um, separated from the body, but really it's, it's important and it impacts other areas uh, of your health. So educate yourself, reach out to some dental professional and ask questions and how can I do things at home to improve, improve that? Yeah. That's great. Well, you gave us tons of great information today. Things that I learned, I learned some new things myself and I'm sure everybody listening did. So thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. I I love this. I love talking to people. So yeah, thank you for giving me the opportunity. Well, that was registered dental hygienist, Catherine Pennell. She's the owner of Mobile Smiles. When we come back, we'll talk with Cindy Holden, who's a registered dental hygienist as well. She's sharing more about the research exchange group on oral health at Memorial University. She's discussing oral health, its impact on our overall health, and the important research that's not only addressing some of our specific challenges in our province, but also influencing our dental health policy here at home. Welcome back. Today we're learning all about oral health. And with us now is Cindy Holden. She's a registered dental hygienist and she's sharing all about the research exchange group on oral health at Memorial University. Let's check it out. Hi, Cindy, welcome to the show. Hi, Mike. It's great to be here. I'm, I'm so delighted that you've taken this interest in oral health. Thanks yeah. very much. Oh, no problem at all. It's an interesting topic that affects all of us. And it's something that a lot of us don't know a lot about. You know, tell me a bit about yourself and your background that leads you to be an expert in this area. Well, I've been a registered dental hygienist for over 30 years. Um, I've always maintained an interest in public oral health and health literacy. And, you know, 30 years later, that's still my you know prime objective. Um, most of us work in clinical care and you're probably just as familiar as any of us with that, but um, you know, we, we can we can share a bit of knowledge in, in private care, but private is private. Um, so I'm really looking forward to the, you know, the objectives and the proposals of the health accord to uh, to embark on something more related to health literacy. And I've advocated that for a long, long time. Yeah, it's a teach a person to fish or give a person to fish, you know. You uh, got it, exactly. And that's the beautiful thing about having a show like this where we can get information out that people might not have a, a venue for. But, you know, for people that are listening here today, you are a part of what's called the Oral Health Research Exchange Group. You know, what is that and what's your purpose? The Oral Health Research Exchange Group might, was a result of a two-part um, knowledge translation initiative back in 2010. It was to increase the capacity for oral health research to impact health policy in the East, roughly, um, as you know, many would know. We don't have a dental uh, school here, a dental hygiene program. Um, so this was a collaboration between MUN, the Center for Applied Health Research at the Faculty of Medicine and Dalhousie University. Dalhousie has an extensive and longstanding dental program and very much interested in, in health, health research for health policy. Um, it gathered researchers from Dow and government analysts, industry and community reps to identify gaps in oral health care planning and policy. It was originally called the Oral Health Research Affinity Group. Um, the Dow Mon Collaborative was called the um, 
ICOH, increasing capacity for oral health. In fact, the, that research or that uh, those outcomes are actually still on the Dell website. Um, this group developed um, a CIHR proposal um, to evaluate services in Newfoundland, but these grants, as you know, are highly competitive. It generated significant interest in the local academic community, though, and that was the incubation point for the Research Exchange Group in Oral Health. Mm, and that's interesting because, you know, yourself, you're a dental hygienist by training, uh, but also involved in, in this process. Is the group just made up of academic researchers or who else rep is represented by the group? Though there's a anybody can join a research exchange group, I think. Mm -hmm. But uh, this guy, I mean, oral health is important to everybody. You know, everybody mm -hmm. wants nice teeth that don't hurt. And everybody has recognized some dis discrepancies and disparities uh, somewhere in their in their path, whether there's whether they're a researcher or a clinic clinician. There's a number of people. There's some health admin. Our group, large group, there's a public health dentist uh, and there's some public health dentists in from in and out of the province. There's dental hygienist. There's MCP dental director, which mm -hmm. is not a public health per, uh, position per se. There are a few members of the public and advocates. We've had people show up at meetings when, when they know we're talking about long-term care. Because yeah. a number of people in resident care have health advocates. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is something that I identify really quickly that, you know, from their day-to-day -day, that's really important. So mm -hmm. um, they find out about us through other academic friends or associates, and, and they listen in to certain topics for sure. So, you know, when you're looking at some of the things that people are talking about, like some of these challenges people may be facing, what are the things that are specific to Newfoundland when it comes to like the real, real areas of, of, of change that need to happen or the things that are real concerns for Newfoundlanders when it comes to oral health? I think, uh, well, you've already said it, it's access, period. Mm -hmm. Access, you know, when we, when we talk about access to care, typically we're talking about access to services. And while they, that may be an issue in itself, when you and I talk about health literacy, access to the standardized, appropriate information, you know, when you need it is, is a critical issue. You know, we all have to be a little bit more self-advocating, I suppose, and promoting our own, our own issues or look for the right information that we want. It's not unique to Newfoundland. That's what I really want to say. Oral health is so socially driven and has become very commercialized and commodified. I think anybody could guess that if they gave it, gave it some thought, oh, knowing yeah. how the commercials <laughs> and the marketing goes. Yeah. Uh, without accurate integrated oral health information in schools and public health care, the information is skewed and, and more often incorrect or out of context. My understanding, though, is that health literacy could be improved generally uh, and across many sectors, perhaps more unique to Newfoundland is that we have no integrated public oral health promotion. Yeah. Uh, some jurisdictions have professional oral health programs or targeted health promotion to, you know, to critique the popular media. Um, over the past 20 years or so, there has been no improvement to public knowledge when it comes to oral health, which is unfortunate. All of us are, are leaning on all information filtered through powerful uh, marketing channels. Yeah. And things have changed a lot. I mean, the way people think about their teeth and the way it's part of the people's look and feel and everything else. But like, I think like a lot of things we have, uh, we tend to migrate towards sick care. We wait until something's gone wrong before we go to a dentist, as opposed to the preventative side of things. One of the biggest challenges and one of the biggest barriers that sort of uh, permeates all aspects of health is social determinants of health. Uh, what are the disparities that exist when it comes to particular groups of, of people in our population, in particular, those people that are like more vulnerable than others? Well, you, you've already you've already mentioned it. it's, you know, income it, it mm. would be one just because we associate, again, the, the service access. Right. So, you know, private dental care is incredibly expensive, mm. which is unfortunate. But 
um, that puts a lot, a number of our vulnerable citizens at risk right out of, right out of the gate, right? Um, so our seniors, we have low income and our indigenous people have poor access to services. Uh, people who have dental insurance tend to get regular dental care. That's how it works. Mm -hmm. If you don't have dental insurance or dental benefits program, the services are very expensive. Um, we're all subject to, to inaccurate oral health information and education, and we shouldn't expect that good oral health care comes from service exclusively any more than being well and healthy is provided by visits to the doctor or the hospital. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's a good way to put it, really. I mean, you know, those services, like I said, tend to be reactive in a lot of ways, and we're not taught about them either. We're not taught about oral health in school, really, and, and health in school, even finances, for that matter, some of the things that are most relevant to us in our lives. You know, when you I think about vulnerable populations, um, we are very lucky to live where we live in Canada, where a lot of people have a lot of things. However, there are some extremely vulnerable populations. In particular, I think about the gathering place. You guys do oral health clinics for those people as well, correct? It is correct. And, and thanks for asking about that. that was a, that's a, a really new and wonderful initiative. Mm. It is what we would call a targeted approach. So we have a, a cohort of our citizens that are using the Gathering Place Community Services, which is great. Mm -hmm. The clinic at, at Gathering Place was inspired by a group of health practitioners uh, known as the Downtown Health Collective, mm -hmm. who recognized fairly quickly uh, the need for all care among some of, some of their clients. Um, the collective approached the, the Dental Association, the Dental Hygienist Association, to figure out a way to get dental services for the, the Gathering Place members. And we're fortunate in those deliberations to have uh, most of the clinic donated by local businessmen in the city. They have a few dentists and hygienists that, uh, that volunteer there. It's being used without a doubt. There are other targeted approaches. Uh, we call it targeted uh, because that, that particular program is only available to, to people who are right. members of the gathering place. What tends to happen for a number of our citizens when we're talking about vulnerable is that not being able to go to a dental office and perhaps not even being able to access services at gathering place. And there, we even have people in sort of low income range that uh, find themselves going to emergency dental care, mm. uh, looking to get for pain management. And that's stressful on the, on the healthcare system. And we haven't, we haven't figured out what those numbers are. Some jurisdictions have, they submit data to, to, um, other databases, national databases, and can get that information. We don't have it here. In fact, I don't even know if we have it on the East Coast or Atlantic region at all. But the numbers are telling in, in other jurisdictions. It's about 1% of all emergency care goes to non, what they call non-traumatic dental problems. So it's not a smack in the face. It's generally, you know, something to do with your oral health. Well, that's Cindy Holden, who's a registered dental hygienist. She's sharing all about the research exchange group on oral health at Memorial University. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. We're here with Cindy Holden, who's a registered dental hygienist. She's sharing about the research exchange group on oral health at Memorial University. Let's get back to the interview. Another group that you've been helping out, uh, it's, uh, of course, another vulnerable population, but also one that might need a little bit extra care, is uh, senior citizens. So what are some of the activities you guys have taken to help them out? <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, well, we have a lot of interest and crossover interest in that research exchange group with our another exchange group for, for aging and seniors. Mm -hmm. um, it's a growing part of our population. So mm -hmm. uh, anything that's going to affect that group is going to affect us in a large way. Yeah. So um, 
we, you know, building capacity for oral health care and oral health research takes time. And like I said, that is a big group. And the Center for, health Inform Center for Applied Health Research has been incredibly effective in curating collaborations among groups. Um, members of, of the oral health research have presented to cost and value. And we've, I think we've also worked together with aging. Um, we're also a member of the Network of Canadian Oral Health Research um, out of Dalhousie. We share this link in advance with Faculty of Medicine and Office of Professional Development. Yeah, uh, and that type of research, I mean, it must be, you, you alluded to it with the Health Accord NL about uh, changing policy. I mean, so what are the reasons why research like this are is so important? And are there challenges? Like, I think, I got to think that without a dental school, how is it challenging? And then why is it important to do research? It's really challenging in our area without without the auspices of a, of a of a you know a fair sized public dental program, mm -hmm. uh, whether that's through the government or you know the academics uh, post secondary. Um, you know, if oral health is truly part of health, then it needs to be studied with health, not not separately. So recently, I sat on um, a keynote address by another well known public health researcher who's who's um, who stated uh, the amount and increase of biomedical research undertaken, but with remarkably insignificant change over, you know, a fairly long period of time. Mm -hmm. That disturbed me. You know, for oral health, I've always perceived the challenge related to personal beliefs, where their social context supersedes true health integration or importance. But I, I, that demonstrated that it, it happens over a, a lot of sectors. You know, I think, uh, you know, change takes time, but it, it's particularly uh, difficult for us in this province um, to do oral health research without oral health research leads. That's not to say we haven't got great researchers here, and people who could act in that capacity, but if it's not their expertise, if that's, that, you know, makes people a little bit nervous. I mean, I've asked non-oral non health colleagues and been politely declined. <laughs> um, you know, we have opportunities to do, I think, I think we, it, it will evolve. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, right from the beginning, our oral health research exchange group was a collaboration between Dal and here. Again, that was 10 years ago, mm -hmm. you know, so building capacity before the research. So we're, we're definitely in that zone of building capacity. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'd like to think going forward that especially, you know, with the, a new federal program on the horizon, people are going to want to study this and evaluate it. And that's right. And when I look at uh, either group, you know, the Oral Health Research Exchange Group or OREG, your goal, your primary purpose is to promote areas of oral health research. And with the changes that are coming down, like, how do you plan to expand that uh, going forward? Because, I mean, it looks like dental health is becoming at the forefront of our healthcare in Canada. Well, it, reach out to our colleagues, you know, uh, every time I hear from somebody that, you know, they've dealt with, they, you introduce yourself, you, you know, describe your area of work, somebody always has a story. Mm. Somebody always has a story. You know, oral health is, is, is a health issue, but it's incredibly social. Uh, it's often hard to, to even, you know, facilitate a group sometimes bringing oral health into the equation because everybody wants to talk about something that's happened to them or somebody yeah. they know. Yeah. So, you know, I think the thing is that, you know, to, to hear those and be able to advocate and promote, you know what, we can work on that. Mm -hmm. We can, you know, we can, we can help you with that. Like I said, we, I worked with a speech language pathologist um, and we, we couldn't believe how incredibly, inter, in, you know, interrelated our professions were, at least with this cohort, mm -hmm. for sure. Um, so I think, uh, that's what that's what we'll be looking to do. Um, and we've made some submissions to, you know, dental hygienists have made and dentistry as well have made submissions to the, the health accord. And mm -hmm. we are able to demonstrate now there is evidence to support where poor oral health has affected our healthcare system. And we're mm -hmm. into to cost savings here and cost benefit analysis. So 
you know, we're, we're pulling on those, those stats and that research from other jurisdictions to help us through this. Um, and, you know, we've had public health, oral health over the years. And I would, you know, our time today is not going to allow us to discuss how that sort of, you know, went in a different direction with the onset of private care, but it did. And we, you know, without use overusing that, you know, throwing out the baby with the bathwater, we probably let go some of our oral health promotion. Um, and again, not to, to segregate health, oral health and health, they are really interrelated. Um, so I think, you know, just like our government wants to look at health and all policies, I think yeah. we have, if we're going to talk about health, we have to include oral health somewhere along the way. Well, yeah, tell me if I'm wrong, but I was a kid. I used to get fluoride treatments when I went to school, didn't I? Like, wasn't that something you that did. we used to do? Yeah. Okay. I remember that now. That was a long time ago, but that was good. So, uh, so is there somebody from your group that will be working with the Health Accord NL as you go forward to influence the oral health policy in the province? I think they're taking, uh, you know, resource and references and evidence from all of us. I know I've, I've provided quite a bit. I, uh, I, did, I did a master of public health at Memorial about 10 years ago, and mm -hmm. that was incredible. Uh, you know, it, it gave me the research skill, the, you know, the indexing, finding evidence. And, you know, it started coming, you know, there's a lot more jurisdictions that are doing this and finding these, these uh, you know, making these claims about, you know, oral health. So, you know, it's, it's been really helpful. It's like things will eventually come. A colleague said, sometimes, you know, when you start out, they think, you know, there's no reception or you're not getting the right, the, the right received, but it, it, there seems to be um, a fairly, fairly good appetite for this information now and the evidence is out there. So um, we're going to share it share as much as we can. Yeah, that's right. I did. Well, I did Clinepi. We did a lot of the same courses between public health Clinepi and that, you know, there's lots of best practices out there. And that's the beautiful thing about medical research now is that it's available to everybody and we can all model what's been out there. Um, but is there anything you want to leave our listeners with as we clue up our show here on oral health and why it's so important? Yes, thanks. It's, you know, I think truly to truly embrace change in healthcare, we have to, we all have a duty to understand that health service, dental or otherwise, is not to be equated with health and wellness. Um, we also have to recognize that we all have beliefs that were created and evolved at different junctures in our lives. We all need to learn how to regularly source and update good healthcare knowledge objectively. You know, I'm pleased to learn that this attribute is being seriously undertaken um, and, and taken in consideration with the health accord. Uh, health literacy is going to be a big part of the health accord. And I think, you know, I think it's just a fact of how we learn, you know, as health practitioners and, and, and willing public that sees health practitioners. We get our expertise, we spill out that expertise, uh -huh. sort of forgetting that it's all sort of interrelated. And uh, I think that's going to be uh, a big issue, I think, in the health accord. It wasn't just about experts, you know, teaching to, to certain populations that needed. All the experts needed to understand, you know, what was new, what was coming, what was best practice uh, and keep it updated all the time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and, maybe and he, it's, it's motherhood and apple pie, isn't it? <laughs> it is, and it, you know, another thing about that was so great was the was the public consultation. So people helped dictate the, the the route going forward as well. So that means that everybody's on the same page, and and this is such an important topic that I, I'm really glad you could take the time to share what your group is doing and a little bit about yourself. So thanks for joining us today. Well, I really appreciate the invitation, Mike. It's been uh, been a pleasure. Thank you to my guests for joining me today. When I was reading up on this topic, I found an interesting definition of what oral health is from the FDI World Dental Federation. 
It defines it as multifaceted and includes the ability to speak, smile, smell, taste, touch, chew, swallow, and convey a range of emotions through our facial expressions with confidence and without pain, discomfort, and disease. And this includes the areas of the head, face, and the mouth. It's vital to our general health and well-being. That's a pretty broad definition and impacts a lot of aspects of our life. So I hope you learned something new today and made a point to reach out for a cleaning or a checkup at the dentist's office or through a mobile service like Mobile Smiles. So do me a favor and put your dental floss close to the chair where you'll be watching the news or listening to the radio. Brush your teeth before eating sugar and you never know, it might have a greater impact on your overall health than you ever could have imagined. Well, that's our show this week. Next week, we go to the rainforest of Costa Rica to talk with the team at Revive Nosara. They replant, replenish, rewild, and rehydrate their community, which just so happens to be in a blue zone, a place where people live longer and healthier lives than anywhere else in the world. We'll then bring that message back home to Newfoundland and Labrador with Kingfisher Farms and the similar project they have underway here in the province. You won't want to miss it. Until then, I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of The Wall Show on your VOCM.